So far, we've talked about who God is. We've talked about where God is. Is God good? Does God really love us? And if you've missed any of these, go and watch them on the CBC app. Maybe while you're mowing the lawn, you don't have anything better to do. The Steelers aren't playing yet. The Pirates aren't any good. I can say that. I don't even have to pay attention to the Pirates to know that. Just go and listen to uh, our past apps, not because it's me, but because you need to be able to answer these questions for a world that is wandering these things. Is God good? Does he really love me? We know that he's good and we know that he loves us. But today, what we're going to ask ourselves today is, does he actually help find our way or does he just sit back and watch us stumble through the dark? Does God even have a direction that he wants us to go? Or is it more like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books? You remember those, right? You'd be reading along in a book, and then it would give you a choice. You're being chased by a werewolf. Do you, one, jump off the cliff into the river, or two, slap the werewolf with a dead fish? And you have to make that choice, right? And then you turn to a certain page and you look at what the conclusion would be and, and you undoubtedly would find out that in fact slapping the, the werewolf with the dead fish was the wrong option and that you were eaten. Is that what our life is supposed to be like? That we just choose our own adventure and then we at the end wish we would have chosen differently. Is that the way that God leads us? Two options in front of us. A life of joy and peace or a life of pain and misery. And then we just randomly pick and hope that it's the best. Throughout the scripture, we see God guides his people and tells them the right way to go. Abraham leaving his family and heading into the wilderness. Joseph in prison. Israel in the desert. Daniel in the lion's den. Paul on his missionary journeys. God leads his people. And now we probably aren't going to get a message that's uh, from God that's written in the sky, but God does want to lead and guide and direct us to tell us where he wants us to go. So we're going to talk about five things to remember this morning when looking for God's will. Number one, start with God's word. Start with God's word. Rick Warren said, don't wait for a voice, start looking for a verse. And you don't even have to twist them out of context to figure out which ones apply to me. We're going to look at some that says, this is the will of God, that you do this. Praise God, we have a Bible full of verses that would help us distinguish God's will for our life. And God's word is a precious resource that that people haven't always had access to. But we do now. We have more access to it. We can read our Bible in a million different ways. We can listen to it. We can hear it. We can... Don't take it for granted. God's will is not hidden. It's not some secret code that you have to decipher. J.D. Greer said, I used to look for God's will uh, to be written out in my Cheerios. But all it ever said was, ooh. If you don't know where to start, don't wait on a voice... Wait on a verse. The Bible is full of God's will for you. Maybe God's will for you is to start with something like this in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Here it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
Maybe the first step to you knowing God's will is conquering that porn habit in your life or that casual sex habit, getting accountability, maybe even being brave enough to come to CR on a Tuesday night. Or maybe it starts like this in 1 Peter 2, 15. It says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Maybe how you start today on following God's will is stop fighting with foolish people and do good in a way that silences them. Show them Jesus. Live out the fruits of the Spirit. Do good and avoid fools. The will of God is in the Word of God. That's where you start surrendering to do whatever God's Word says and systematically applying God's Word to your life. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember this, the will of God never contradicts the word of God. It will never be God's will for you to cheat on your wife. It will not happen. I don't care how awesome that other person is or how spiritual they are. That will not be God's will for you. So we go to scripture to guide us. And we don't do this alone. We have other people around us that we're sharing uh, what we're learning with God. And they can tell us, hey, you know, I don't know that that's really what it means. And that's why the Bible tells us that it's not open to personal interpretation. Because we don't get to just go off and find out what the Bible means by ourselves. And, and then just come out with this weird theology. We share it with each other and we live it in it. In community with one another. Yes, God wants to speak to us, but we're not supposed to walk alone. The will of God is in the word of God. God's will is meant to be lived out in community with one another. And that means it's your responsibility to cultivate and create those relationships in your life. You don't come up to Pastor Phil and say, hey, I need community. Give, assign me people that will be my community. No, you step out. You get to know people. You open up. You share time together. You share a meal together. You call each other. You find out each other's phone number. You get to know each other and live that out together. So we go to Scripture to guide us, and we don't do this alone. The New Testament assumes that you're functioning within a church context and connected to genuine Christian community. If you have isolated yourself, things won't be right. And no one has gospel-centered relationships by accident. Accountability, trust, selflessness. God's word pushes us to live in community like that. So we start with God's word. And next, this is a hard one, perhaps the hardest for most of us in the room, we wait on the Lord. We start with God's word and we wait on the Lord. Noah and I just went up to Sight and Sound to see the, the David play that they're doing. And David knew that he was going to be the next king years and years and years and years before God made him king. He knew God's will, but he still had to wait on the Lord. We turn over to Psalms 25. We'll see King David. If you want to open your Bible there, there's some in front of you. We're going to be there for a minute. Psalms 25. This same King David that fought Goliath, he's surrounded by his enemies, and he needs God to show him what to do. David is searching for God's will. In verse 1, he says this to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. Let my, my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for the Lord shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. David says, God, it looks hopeless. People are against me. I don't know what to do, but you know that I want to do your will. So I won't be put to shame by my enemies because God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to show me your will. Verse four, he goes on and says, make me, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth. Teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day long. He goes on in this passage. He said, God, hit me over the head with your will. I, I need it. Make me to know your will. Make me to know your way. Show me the way to go. I want to follow you and I'm not moving until you tell me to. God, you saved me. I'm yours. So now I'm your responsibility. Show me what to do. Verse six, he goes on and says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David says, God, I remember all those times that you have been good to me. I remember how you have forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. God, I, I remember how steady your love is and you showed that to me. And I know you did this all for your glory because of your namesake, God, but do it again for me. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He instructs people that understand that they're sinners, people that humble themselves. It says he leads the humble in what is right. The Bible tells us he rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. David's saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. But I know that you are good, God, and I know that you want to lead me. Remind me that I'm not in control and that I am just a sinner. Teach this humble servant your way. I know your way is loving and faithful. Help me to follow you. I remember praying prayers like this, and you might have done that before too, where I was at the end of my rope. God, show me your way. God, make it clear because I need it simple. Talk slowly to me, Lord. I'm not that smart. Make it plain to me. Show me what to do and I'll do it, Lord, whatever it is. And even though sometimes those answers have taken months, God has always been faithful to lead me. Now, sometimes my faith is 60-40 mixed with doubt, right? Sometimes I'm only 67% sure this is what God wants me to do, but it lines up with God's word and it lines up with the community of people that I've uh, put around myself. And, and God knows my heart and he knows when I'm sincerely ready to wait on him. And he's always faithful. Are you really ready to wait on the Lord like David did? Are you preparing now to move, but not moving before God tells you to? You can't Force it. If you force it, you're going to mess everything up. You're not big enough to push God around. Sometimes we're impatient. But David said, I will wait on the Lord. We start with God's word. We wait on the Lord. Number three, don't make excuses. 
You might say, well, Pastor Phil, you don't know my life, and I don't. And you might say, but Pastor Phil, you don't understand what's happened to me. I'm not looking for God's will because of what has happened to me. Maybe someone hurt you or abused you in the past, and that's terrible. But you think because of that, what someone did to you, that you are disqualified from following God's will for your life. In, chapter, uh, in this chapter, David said, people are against me, and they have hurt me. But God, I can't control what they did to me. Show me what you want me to do. Make me to know your ways. We can't live with this victim mentality forever. Remember the story of Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, right? He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused and imprisoned. Joseph had all the reasons to say, I'm going to sit this following God thing out because of what has happened to me. But instead, in every situation Joseph found himself in, he sought the Lord's face, and he asked for guidance, and he moved when God told him to move. He waited when God told him to wait, and even after all the hurt and pain, God used Joseph to save a nation from famine. And God pulled good out of the pain. Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, it's not what's been done to you, but rather what you have done that you feel like disqualifies you from following God's will for your life. J.D. Greer says, even in our sin, God's goodness remains. If you're not dead, God's not done. Yes, you may have disqualified yourself from a specific type of ministry or serving. For instance, if you embezzle a bunch of money from your business, you're probably not going to end up being the church treasurer, right? But that doesn't mean that God's done using you. And maybe you're on the sidelines because of your sinful actions or attitudes. Well, get it right. Repent. David was a man that was very familiar with his own sin. He had done wicked things, but God continued to choose to use him after he repented of his sins. Don't use your past as an excuse to do nothing. Chapter 25 of Psalms told us, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners... Not the proud, people that understand that they are sinners and that they are flawed and that they are unworthy for any of this. He instructs sinners in the way and he leads the humble in what is right and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness. Now what you can do may change. God still has something for you. And no serving is too small. The Bible tells us even passing out a cup of water in God's name for him with a heart that wants to serve is still serving Jesus. And it's still important. Now, there's two temptations when trying to follow God's uh, will. The one temptation is to not move when he is obviously calling you to do something. And if you're an introvert in the room, this is probably the temptation that you face. Your mind is flooded with anxiety and fear. How you could possibly ever do this thing that God is moving you towards. That's my temptation. I had to decide as a young man a long time ago that I was going to say yes every time God brought an opportunity my way that made me uncomfortable. And I've tried to do that. And it's led me to some scary places for me. Now, that works for a while, but if God keeps advancing you, you do eventually need to start saying no to focus on rest and Sabbath. 
But there are people with wonderful, amazing talents that are too scared to move. Don't let fear be what holds you back. If God's telling you to do it, decide to say yes, even if you don't feel like you can. The second temptation when trying to follow God's will is this. You're tempted to think that every opportunity is my opportunity. I've met people over the years that one minute they tell me they feel called to this opportunity. But when that doesn't happen or it doesn't work out or they get bored, then all of a sudden it's something else. And this person is probably more of an extrovert. This person has a lot of ideas but doesn't necessarily see any of them through. And they struggle when they aren't being noticed and they promote themselves for every opportunity instead of waiting to be asked. When I was a youth pastor, every once in a while, I'd have a student come and join us for just like a couple weeks. And then they would ask me, uh, can I preach a sermon? Immediately, that was a red flag. I'm like, dude, slow down. The work this person may need to do is to quietly and humbly serve in a tangible way, faithfully, without credit, while putting serving Jesus first, not self-promotion. David said, I will wait on the Lord. I'm not doing nothing. I'm preparing. I'm ready to move, but I'm not going to make things move. When looking for God's will, number four, fulfill your purpose. Many of us are just content to go through the motions of church and life and just focus on our job, our entertainment, buying the next big thing. But God has so much more for you than just being a consumer in the rat race of life. Ben Stewart, in his book, Rest in War, talks about how we're each made in the image of God and how God, at the beginning of time, created the heavens and the earth. And he looked out on this empty void of darkness and was inspired to create life. In the very first days, he brought light and sky and sea and then land, every element and structure that would be necessary to support life. And then he takes these structures and he fills them with life, with birds and fish and plants and man and God build structures that lead to flourishing. And next God left the stewardship and management of that garden to Adam. And Adam was given the job of creating structures in order to promote the flourishing of the garden. Till the uh, soil and water the crops and tend to the animals and go forth and multiply. Hey, you are created to be a cultivator. To bring order to where there is none and support the flourishing of life for God's glory. If you're a school teacher, the order and cultivation is of the children that you're tasked with teaching. If you're a doctor, it's your mind and your skills that help make life better. If you're a businessman, it's creating a culture in your business of providing a service and jobs for people and helping their employees reach their potential. All while avoiding things that bring disorder and pain and brokenness. Don't bring drama. Don't bring discouragement. Bring life. Don't drain people. Fill people. As a husband, that might mean we're organizing our time and money and energy to help our wives and children flourish. Wives doing the same. All for the glory of God. Maybe that person in the room that needs to remove some things from your life that are working against this purpose. 
Maybe you take events off your calendar that hinder this goal of creating structures and habits to support flourishing in you and those around you. Where are you speaking life? Where are you bringing life? Are you a person that is filling people or are you a person that is draining people? Some of us fill our life with just random activities that fulfill no purpose. And other of us sit around and analyze everything to the point that we do nothing. And then some of us sit there and we look at what everybody else is doing. And we feel like our spiritual gift is to tell them that that's wrong. But you are made in the image of God. And you will not be happy that way. You were given a desire to cultivate life in you and those around you. That's not your purpose you will not be happy if you aren't contributing to bringing life. Maybe you're retired and you're frustrated and restless. I walk through my, uh, this with my parents. You need to find a place in your community to step into and help bring life. Looking for God's will? God has given you gifts to use and to be given away. Create order out of chaos. Fulfill needs and point to Jesus. Start with God's word. Wait on the Lord. Don't make excuses. Fulfill your purpose. And lastly, use your gifts. Maybe you sit at home alone in front of your TV a lot. There's no happiness to be found there. Join a club to get to know people. Step into serving. Help bring order that promotes flourishing in the community. All the while pointing back to the God of the universe that started this whole thing. If you live a me-centered life and you're always thinking about how you can advance yourself, finding God's will is going to be very difficult for you. You can't just fit God into your agenda. J.H. Wright says, we ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question should be, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? J.D. Greer says, whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it strategically somewhere for the mission of God. Live a life on mission because you are a missionary. And that means you go outside these walls, the missionary uh, to your job or to visit a nursing home or to find some place to use your gifts. Even if that means you're never on a stage or you're never given a title or credit, God has given us gifts to be used. This is God's will for us. Real quick, here's a simple test of what your gift may be. The three A's. What is your uh, ability? What are you good at? What am I good at? What is your affinity? What are you passionate about? And number three, this is important. What do other people affirm about you that God has gifted you with? That's your affirmation. If you keep bringing something up and, and everybody's like, oh, that sounds great. That might not be what God's will for your life is. The community of people that you've built around you. If you sing like a dying cat, it might not be God's will for you to be on the worship team. That's just the way it is. And hopefully you have a community of people around you that aren't pumping you up like all those contestants' moms on American Idol. You're the best, hon. Where these three things intersect is a good indication of where your spiritual gifts are, your ability, your affinity, and the affirmation of that community of people that you've put around you. 
And these are how you use your gifts. And maybe your gift is not something that necessarily fits into Sunday morning service. If your gift is you're really great at, a, at leading people and affecting people through karate, that's awesome. It's probably not going to fit on a Sunday morning service. So go use it out in the mission field. And go leverage your sphere of influence that you create to, in order to uh, bring hope and bring life and bring Jesus into a situation. On the other hand, you may not even know that you're gifted at working with children. And you may not even realize it till someone says, hey, I think you'd be great at working in kids' church. And then the wheels start turning. You're like, huh, yeah, maybe I would be okay with that. Maybe I would be good. I, I think I could enjoy that. Living in this genuine community brings these things out. It's not rocket science. God puts these gifts and desires in us. God wants you to know his will so that you can do it. Get out of the way. Start with God's word. Wait on the Lord. Don't make excuses. Fulfill your purpose. And use your gifts. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure. You don't just close your eyes and hope for the best, and then one day look back thinking, I wish I would have chosen differently. God does have a purpose and direction for your life. Don't be content just to roll the dice. Don't continually bash your head against something when God is trying to tell you to wait. Say yes to God. Even if that means I'm going to stop and I'm going to prepare and I'm going to get ready. That's what David did. He had felt like God was doing something, but it wasn't time. So when looking for God's will, start with his word. God will never contradict his word. Wait on the Lord. Don't get in front of him. Don't make excuses about this happened and that happened. And so I can't do what God's leading me to do. Fulfill your purpose. If nothing else, bring life into this world. Create order and bring uh, life into people's life. Don't pull them down. Create structures that lead to flourishing. And then lastly, use your gifts. Where does your ability and your affinity, your passion, and the affirmation of those that you have put around you that are Christians, that are going to push you to do what God wants you to do? Where do those three things intersect? Every head's bowed and eyes closed. It was pretty common in Bible college for a young man to walk up to a young woman and to say, I believe it's God's will that I marry you. That woman did not agree. So that was a problem. And we throw that around a lot, right? I think this is what God's wanting me to do. But how do you tell the difference between the voice in your head and God's will? We just talked about it this morning. You go to God's will, or go to God's word. He will never contradict it. And sometimes that means I'm going to do uh, the right thing the right way instead of doing it the wrong way. David knew many times he could have killed King Saul. But he waited. God wants to show you his will for your life. 
He doesn't want you to just aimlessly choose wrong over and over again and step in it and cause problems and drain people. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants good things for you. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but fulfilling God's purpose for your life is the best thing possible. Don't get distracted. Don't take your eyes off of of God and get distracted by your job and your entertainment. (coughs) Buying the next big thing. I want you right now, honestly and genuinely, tell God, God, I want to do your will. It might be a scary thing for some of you. You think, I, I like my life. I don't want to go to Indonesia to be a missionary. I promise you, if that's where God sends you, you will never be more fulfilled than going exactly where God wants you to go. God, I want to do your will. Genuinely, why don't you tell God right now, if you mean it, God, I'm willing to wait. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm going to prepare. But I'm not going to force the issue. I'm not going to try and make things happen. I'm going to wait on you. Even if it's years. Even if it's decades. David was a man after God's own heart. He made mistakes. And he failed. But he continually chased heart of God. Maybe you're here today and what you need to do, you need to tell God right now genuinely that I'm going to stop making excuses. I know what's happened to me. I know what happened at my last church. I know what happened in my family years ago or I know what I've done. I'm not saying those things are okay at all. I'm not saying that they are not a big deal. But what we are saying is today you have a life and today you have a moment. And if you continue to live in what happened in the past, you're going to be so unhappy because you can't change it. It's over. You can change right now. Maybe what you need to do today is to say, God, I want to fulfill my purpose of bringing glory to you. And I want to be like you. I'm going to create order and structures to support life and flourishing in people and in myself. Maybe what I need to do is I need to slow down. Maybe what I need to do is I need to stop slowing down and start going. Maybe today what you need to say is, God, I want to use my gifts. Show me where those gifts are. And if people aren't affirming those things, God, help me to give that up and to go on to whatever you want me to do, even if it's something little. God, help me to go out in the community and live out the gospel. you continue to deal with God's will for your life. I want to speak to those of you today. You might know or not, not know for sure that heaven is your home. 
You might not know that you have a relationship with God this morning. There's nothing more wonderful than to know that Jesus Christ died for you. And I can absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, tell you that it's God's will that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. There's nothing better that you could possibly ever do. If you haven't done that, now's the time. Life is but a vapor. It's here just for a minute, then it passes away. Jesus died in your place 2,000 years ago. He was born of a virgin, God in the flesh. And he walked this earth for 33 years, and he took the punishment that you deserved for your sin. And the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could call out to God right now. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's a decision in your heart to stop trusting all the things that you've done and put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Let him change you and decide to follow him with your life. Why don't you do that today?